This is Rating Descending. Where we watch IMDb's Worth 250 so you don't have to. My name is Abigail Ward. And I'm Michelle St. Clair. And tonight we watched Ultraviolet. A beautiful hemophage infected with a virus that gives her superhuman powers has to protect a boy in a futuristic world who is thought to be carrying antigens that would destroy all hemophages. Let's watch. <laughs> We have a guest this episode. Uh, he's the director of Red Curtain Hell and the host of the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers podcast, longtime friend of the podcast, Shane Anderson. Yo! Hello, yow! hello, hello, hello. Shh, Shane, shh. <laughs> oh, yeah! Not yet, not, not yet. yet. Okay. <laughs> Just get back in that closet. But a moment. Shh. <laughs> All right, hey, now oh, you can. Now, now, come on, now. Shane, oh, hurry okay. up. Okay. <laughs> Oh, uh, we've what lost time. Sorry. Oh, thank you very much. We've, we've run out of time. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Thanks, Shane. Thanks yeah. for your time tonight. All right. That was great. <laughs> Bad movies. Great guy. Great guy. Yeah. <laughs> IMDb smoothies. <laughs> uh, so I'm a Brisbane-based filmmaker uh, and sometime podcaster, although the podcast is now sort of ended, but I am working on something new hey. um, about, t- about TV shows uh, this time around because I think it'll Ooh. be interesting. Do you want to um, just uh, plug uh, that podcast again? Why don't you? The uh, the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers, as as far as puns go, that was the best I could do. I no, I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's a great pun. <laughs> oh, I thought I came up with the name and then thought of everything else after that. So sort of like snakes on a plane, you know that that strategy of mm. creativity. <laughs> um, uh, and but I mainly do filmmaking, and I like filmmaking. The I podcast because it's cheaper than making movies. It's, so it's certainly more financially successful. Uh, accessible which is why we're doing it for sure <laughs> yeah 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 a hundred percent hundred percent well that's it's the new trend isn't it? everything is being made into a podcast first and then being adapted into a tv show that's the i've actually heard about that mm. someone in my master's course said that they had an idea for a tv show so they were going to make it a podcast so they could easily pitch the tv show because it's based so on a podcast it's so it's so yeah it's so it can be based on ip yeah. um certain uh institutions in australia that shall not be named out loud they are their strategy now is to fund podcasts to then be made into tv shows like oh, that's uh, their business strategy where's the web page where they fund podcasts can you <laughs> can you send it to me <laughs> uh, uh there's no web page it's it's still yeah! the same system where you have to you have to know someone and uh. then they'll uh the classic in the film industry yeah. in that you'll only make it if you know the right people at the right time. It's very, Correct. it's, it's Correct. a very fun game to play. But you can tell that that's our strategy. Like that's why we've been like fleshing out the lore of Rating Descending. We've got the IMDB boss baby. <laughs> we have the like portal. I'm trapped in a poster. You know, we're slowly, fl- now you're introduced into the RDCU, the Rating Descending Cinematic <laughs> Universe, or I guess it should be the podcast universe <laughs> as it stands. Well, cinema is the next thing. It'll be adapted and yeah. then you'll be set. Exactly. We'll all cameo in the background um, as, I don't know, <laughs> someone going, hey, who needs help over there? As like someone's, I don't know, it'll be a turn into a superhero. We really have fleshed out the lore of IMDb so thoroughly, we could write a whole film about IMDb <laughs> and the boss baby right. that needs to be defeated. Well, yeah. 
funny you should mention it because I was like a hardcore IMDb user in my teen years. <laughs> that doesn't surprise and me I was one actually, bit. <laughs> I was very, very worried that when you did the Ultraviolet episode, because I used to write impassioned reviews of films that people didn't like. And I have one of Ultraviolet. I did one, but I tried looking for it and I couldn't find it. Oh, so no. I don't think it exists anymore. I don't know through, because I was there for ages and then they had the big reboot of IMDb and took down message boards and things like that. I was mainly on the message boards. I was a, I was an IMDb message boards boy. and <laughs> I, yeah, The classic stereotype. <laughs> I wrote Impassioned Defences of Ultraviolet and wrote... Um, <laughs> Uh, vitriolic diatribes about how much I did not like District 9. So You didn't <laughs> like District me. 9? Who are you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I actually... Hey, guys, guest cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all of the problems I had with District 9 are things that everyone said was about Elysium and then the other one that he followed it up with. So I feel like I was just preempting the future okay, You were ahead right. of the curve. You... That, that makes more sense, yeah, but I yeah. have to say you. this is a bad start. I've taken an immense dislike to you. <laughs> oh, no. um, and you have to spend the rest of the episode making it up to me oh, through various right. acts of kind words and service. Right, right. If I burp, will that uh, Oh, put yeah, 100%. <laughs> Let's time it, though. So, like, you warn me when it's happening, we'll make sure we sync it up for Michelle. But you also direct red curtain hell which i always thought I was did. yeah that like it's got a lot of neat ideas in it it's got that rad pseudo uh one shot for the opening like 22 minutes wait did you watch it yeah oh my goodness <laughs> I did, did you tell me you bought that or? no i was just being a good friend <laughs> oh my goodness oh you you were too kind it is a very rough around the edges film <laughs> we've all made we've all made something that we look back at this and go, is a rough around i could the, do better now <laughs> this is a rough around the edges podcast yeah so who are we to <laughs> i had the directorial strategy of throwing a lot of things at the wall and not a lot of it sticks but some things do there are some things i was very very there's a, there's a match cut towards the end that i was very very proud of and a dutch tilt dolly moment that the, i was like i like this this the, is my favorite I literally said to Brooke that the Dutch tilt dolly, I was telling her about it because she didn't watch it with me. I was like, there was this one fucking bit in the third act. It was incredible. Such a great shot. I was like, this kid's got, this kid's got ideas. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a little, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a, a film about a, a, a really shitty production of Hamlet going horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, and, you know, this is an asshole director and asshole actors and egomania and community theatre. If anyone's done community theatre, you would know exactly this world. And then they cannibalise each other metaphorically and... Maybe not so metaphorically. So no, I really enjoyed oh, it. it. It's the exact sort oh, of like so much. little indie production <laughs> where, like, as you said, you can see like the the, the seams around the edges, but then you also know mm. about like the the process of making it, the big ideas involved for the budget there is, and you're like, this this has a lot put into it. Like, it's clearly mm. made with a lot of thought and process. My uh, favourite filmmaker, Guillermo del Toro, his philosophy <laughs> is your ambition should always exceed your budget. <laughs> so, And so I'm like, you know what? I want to do a micro-budget feature and I want 24 speaking characters and I want a 22-minute opening shot and I want this <laughs> and I want everyone to die by the end of the movie. And uh, it, yeah, it was, it, I, it's still one of my, I, like, favourite things like favorite um experiences my, not my favorite piece of my own work but it's my favorite experience i've had it's that's amazing cool. i want to really watch cool. it i'm gonna do my research on you mr shane anderson <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i'm a big believer in like 
in, in especially in Australia, but in this industry, you should support each other's work and actually watch and pay for it. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred. One hundred percent. I even if I'm like. Maybe somewhat, because I'm very adamant that Australian films shouldn't just be about people in houses being sad for two hours. Uh, <laughs> I, I, or, or, you know, be, people be in the outback being sad for two hours. Or if you're lucky, it's an, it's a combination of both, you know, they mm, wonder. Combination of both. That's and there's fun. a, there's a, there's a dead child or a dead raped child. And they just sort of, and there's a mildly racist cop who's an alcoholic has to investigate hey, it. Don't forget the domestic you know. violence. Yeah. And also don't oh, yeah, forget. But some, only as plot device. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can't forget that someone has to return to their small town and revisit trauma that they've yeah. tried to escape from for 20 years. I don't. Oh, oh! You saw that movie too. I went, <laughs> despite all of these complaints I have, I go into the cinemas and I see, and especially the micro budget stuff. I've even if I'm sort of critical about ones that sort of still fall into those tropes, I buy the DVD, I buy it online, I contribute to the Kickstarter campaigns, I go to their screenings and their fundraisers and all those kind of things because you put your money where your mouth is. I try and watch a minimum of five movies a week. You know, oh that's my, my usual goal. You're rigorous. You know, like the French New Wave director Truffaut, he was like, I watch three new films a day and I was like, fuck off, all right? I barely have <laughs> time to... the time? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the I, standards. That just yeah. tells me that he comes from money. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> well, true. Bong Joon-ho wakes up extra early to watch one movie a day so he wakes up at 5 a.m to watch one movie a day i like that i I include short films in this so like i can if i'm i've got a busy day i'll put on a three minute short film Mm. and you know and that bob jonker or that i'll have watch no movies and then i watch like three in one day and then you know all good so well if you count podcasts i certainly listen to at least three (laughs) to five podcasts a day if you count Episodes of Cosmos with Carl Sagan. I've definitely been watching a lot of movies recently. (laughs) Hey, we watch at least one movie a week, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I've always got movies playing right in here. Uh, That's (laughs) You know the audience can't see you do that. Oh, I was pointing at my noggin. (laughs) Shane, I'm so excited that you love Ultraviolet so much. You're the perfect guest this week. Well, caveat, I loved it. Watching (laughs) it again, I I re-evaluated a little bit, but I am still a defender of this film. Interesting. Okay, so I watched this, me and Michelle watched this film for the first time years ago. Oh, I watched it. I showed it to you. Yeah, 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 you did. And I, we adored it. It is the perfect bad film to sink drinks to. Yeah, but uh, rewatching it today was painful, and um, <laughs> but I was absolutely enamored at the same time. What was your? If you were a fan and you've had a reevaluation, I would love to know what that is. Just to give us a, a rundown of that. I watched this when I was fourteen, and I had you know at that time my favorite film was X Men Three: Don't Judge. And I was working in a video store, and Ultraviolet came out, and I was enamored first by the trailer. Just it has a really compelling trailer to me. Watching it is like watching a trailer for it. <laughs> <laughs> It's one long trailer. Yeah. And I just like, I just, I I was, I still am. I'm a very big on aesthetics in film as opposed to plot. I think plot is not the most important thing in a film. I think in the same way that like, if you have your favorite song of all time and you took all the lyrics out, you still have music. And I think it's the same thing with film. If you have a movie and you take out all plot and dialogue, you still have cinema. But if you... If you like, because a lot of movies these days they're videotaped theater. It's two shots and over the shoulders, and it's like you hose it down with coverage, and you cut it in the edit, and it's the camera looks at whatever is needed to see in the film. And I like I miss bold visual choices, and 
ultraviolet is <laughs> nothing if not a lot of visual choices strung back one after the other. <laughs> That's yeah. so interesting because I'm the complete opposite in that I am plot hungry. I am like a fiend for good structure. I want something to be well told. I'm there purely for the story and the aesthetics come second for me in a way in that like but I could watch. How does quiet- that come for you with, oh, sorry. Oh, no, yeah. Um, I was going to say, how does that come for you with something like David Lynch where then plot kind of is definitely pushed to the side in favour of an experiential kind of thing. I'm not a big David Lynch fan. Like, I need the plot and the structure to be tight for me to fully enjoy it. I don't want anything to dwindle too much, and I need need plot to be that, that, that... number one like it's it's the number one in my hierarchy and then the the any good aesthetics is like a bonus to that you know i can watch a very visually drab film i think i lean more into the shane camp as someone who has said to my students as a film teacher repeatedly no one cares about the words (laughs) (laughs) what my my philosophy has always been if you wrote a list of all the things you liked about a movie all the performance was fantastic the plot the dialogue was sizzling and you gave it that list to someone who'd never heard of this thing before if they can't tell if you're talking about a play or a movie Mm. have you made a good movie Mm. yeah because and why why then is cinema the medium of the story why not a play because plays are electrifying when they're a great play seen live is electrifying it's 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 wonderful or a, a novel a great novel can do things film could never imagine to do now to to bring it back to ultraviolet you don't have to be you know full in your face in terms of the visuals. <laughs> I think people like, um, uh, I don't know if you've seen Mariel Heller's films or no. Um, no. so uh, uh, she did Can You Ever Forgive Me? Or and she did the A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, the Tom Hanks, Mr. Stop Rogers Stop putting film. us to shame here, Shane. <laughs> I have right? heard of that one. I didn't watch it. <laughs> if you... If you want, like, and she to me is sort of the successor to the Mike Nichols kind of aesthetic because Mike Nichols isn't like Brian De Palma where he throws visuals at you, Um, but he's still using the camera very, you've seen The Birdcage? Yeah. Yeah. He's using that camera. It's just very understated and that's Mm. just a, a, that's a volume level as opposed to uh, a lack of style. Um, so I don't. It doesn't have to be ultraviolet where you're. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everything has to doing... be on the ultraviolet <laughs> level where it's an incredible array of colors and movement and really long, right. really long, like setup of tension and suspense that ultimately leads to a very quick battle where yeah. everyone gets gunned down. And um, I think I think so. The way I reevaluated to <laughs> to get off the tangent, um, the way I reevaluated ultraviolet was, I as an adult realized how inelegant. It all is. Because I like all the individual things. I think it's a really interesting world. I actually like this take on vampires, I think, is way more compelling than it ought to be. Um, and it, it, it's just very inelegant. All of it's inelegant. The exposition is just dumped whenever necessary. And every fight scene is, like, at 11 and doesn't oscillate, you know, levels yeah. of tension and stuff like that but yeah, so i those all i pick in but the same thing i like i watch the movie and i'm like you know what i still like these things it's like yeah. a constellation of genuinely interesting ideas that is swirling within a black hole of cinema abyss like it's an absolute <laughs> maelstrom <laughs> nightmare that's what's to so watch confusing but it's... about it there's like elements of it that i really enjoy and really yeah like. there's like the premise itself i think like the universe that it said it i'm like these are interesting concepts and visually it is still really striking to watch i really liked some of the shots and like some of the colors that they use yeah but the, it's just such an unforgivable film yeah. it doesn't matter she starts the first words in the film is a narration of her saying 
I come from a world that you might not understand. And I'm like, yes, correct. Absolutely. (laughs) And she's like, like I said, I come from a world you might not understand. You nailed it. We get it, Violet. (laughs) You totally nailed it. You never explained it. I think what I dig about it is it leans into formalism in a way that everything is hyper unreal. Mm. Like I'm a huge fan of Speed Racer and the Wachowskis. I love how formalist they are. Mm. The downside is is that this time around I decided to watch some of the behind the scenes and listen to a bit of Emilio (laughs) Vick's commentary and they were all convinced they were making something very realistic (laughs) which changed my perspective just a smidge because i'm like because if you're going for like that 300 aesthetic like it or not it's a it's a choice like it's Mm. a choice that you can respect even if you don't like it and i'm like oh no they were going for realism and they just but like for some reason the entire of ultraviolet is ubiquitous in its unrealism that it felt like a deliberate choice when it was just an yeah. accident. <laughs> when watching it today, I was like, this the, the concepts they're playing with aren't actually that much... It's only like one or two steps more wild than The Matrix, and yet it's on the yeah. complete opposite side of the quality spectrum. Uh, watching it, I was very struck by now having seen other films in between when I, when I was 14 <laughs> and now, it's basically very clearly the love child of Run, Lola, Run and The Matrix. Yeah. Because that, that music, even that dun, 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 music yeah. is like, I was just like, this is Run, Lola, Run. This is 100% <laughs> Run, Lola, Run. But there's a, she's dragging a child along with her instead of just running herself. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I do have to say, there's before I launch into just the overview, just to give the listeners some like idea of the mayhem of this plot, <laughs> I also wanted to point out that there's a couple of things in the film that were... Re- I mean, it's... The world is in a, like, a dystopian universe where a essentially like pandemic means that people are infected by blood and they can turn into <laughs> images. And watching people walk around with face masks, I was like, oh boy, like, I don't yeah. think I... When I last watched this, this didn't resonate quite so much. Last time we watched this was 2019 <laughs> and the context has changed. And I'm sure last time I watched it, I was like, it's weird that some people are wearing masks and some people are not. No, they nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Totally nailed it. <laughs> when she when she's about to sort of let him go and she's like, you should put your mask up. I'm like, oh, I feel yeah. this. I feel this so <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I have to also, I want to make a disclaimer here, by the way, this overview was a nightmare for me. I had a temper tantrum halfway through because I couldn't really make sense of the plot. I closed my laptop, took a drive, and then had to finish it off, and it's still nonsense. So everyone has to bear with right. me. I love I love the concept that you had a temper tantrum, like having to actually explain this movie cohesively <laughs> to someone else. Yeah, I was like, this is nonsense to me. How will it make sense to any of our listeners? But just a bit of general information about this film, as you guys are aware this was made in 2006 it has 4.4 stars on imdb this is our fourth 2006 movie in a row this is an odd string yeah this is wild um it was directed 2006 yeah 2006 it actually feels like it's more towards like the like 1999 2000 i think it's somehow behind its time yeah (laughs) it was directed and written by kurt wimmer and Kurt Wimmer also wrote, like, he's written a, a quite a lot of films. Mm. He did... Equilibrium. Yeah, and he also wrote Salt, which is interesting. That's like a, that's yeah. a film that oh. I'm quite familiar with. Yeah, but he's... I don't mind that film. Yeah, I mean, I'll get into Kurt Wimmer later because... Um, <laughs> There was a lot of interesting stuff about him in this film. Even though this is your episode, I already know a a lot about this movie because of 
both liking it as a teenager and being obsessed with it yeah. as a bad movie. Also, a disclaimer, Michelle really loves Ultraviolet and was devastated that it couldn't be her episode. So I'm sorry. I hope I can do as much for this film as you would have. <laughs> Thank you. This is for you, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> this is just some backstory that is given to us as exposition in the opening monologue yeah. by Violet. It's 2078. A global pandemic has caused hemophages, infected humans who ex- who exhibit vampire-like symptoms and superhuman physical abilities that also die within 12 years of- after being infected. The Arch Ministry, a militant medical group headed by Vice Cardinal Ferdinand Daxis... What a mouthful. Why is he vice... Ca- anyway, <laughs> I, we, we get, we'll get into we'll it. We'll get into that. <laughs> ...has taken control of the government and begun exterminating hemophages in order to contain the virus. That's just the backstory we get <laughs> in, like, the first two minutes, all right? We're all up to date. We get it? Okay. Yeah. Here's where the story starts. Hemophage Violet Song Jat Sheriff. Yes, that's her full name. Completely unnecessary to have that information. Mm-hmm. Fights to protect the hemophages from the government. Working with the resistance, Violet steals a weapon designed to exterminate all hemophages, only to discover that it is a boy named Six. Rather than kill the child, Violet flees with him, believing that a cure for the disease can be reverse-engineered before he dies. Her mate Garth finds that the boy has no antigens, hence no value, but he does have a tracking device embedded in him and only eight hours to live. Violet finds out the antigens in Six's blood are actually deadly to humans. Six is then captured by the baddies. We all following? Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Look, I just watched it. I'm still confused. I'm so confused. <laughs> After some epic fight scenes, Daxus reveals that the Arch Ministry intends to engineer a new plague to maintain its power. Totally missed that. Violet <laughs> escapes with Six and lets him spend his last moments at a playground. In the most bizarre scene I've ever watched. <laughs> Daxus arrives, shoots Violet, and takes Six's body for dissection. Violet is revived and storms the Arch Ministry. She kills Daxus and leaves with Six's body. Six wakes up having been... Im- oh, God, I can never say this. Is it immunized or immunized? No, that's you the said thing. the same thing twice. Immunized? Yeah. Im- <laughs> immunized. <laughs> you can say it. You just did it. You nailed it. Like, four times. <laughs> this is a mo- The moral of the story is never doubt yourself. <laughs> having been immunized and revitalized by the hemophage virus in Violet's tears. That's it? I don't get it either, guys. <laughs> I'm confused. There's, there's so much to this movie. Like, this movie feels like a nine-hour limited series cut into 90 minutes. It's <laughs> it's like a yep. three-book fantasy series that has been adapted to screen, but it's not based on anything. You get so distracted by the fight scenes and the aesthetics that I, like, I struggle to hear what's happening in the plot. Yeah. And I feel like that was what every critic also said, and that it was incomprehensible. Like, that was... <laughs> definitely the the most common feedback that the film got imagine you make a movie and everyone's just like i literally don't understand it i can't even critically rate it it doesn't mean anything every single person (laughs) but if you love aesthetics like shane does great film (laughs) what's that here's the thing because also in early 2006 i was very enamored with anime Mm. yeah and this has a very clearly huge influences from anime and it was the first time I'd seen someone adapt them into live action in the way they did. Because The Matrix does it, but The Matrix is a little different. Um, the, the Matrix almost invented its own grammar, which I thought was very, very cool. Obviously, they're influenced by other things, but like that anime aesthetic of, you know, when villains are, are talking through their 
plots of evil. You're not showing their faces. You show their feet. You show their hands. You show their things. And that's, mm. like, all over some insidious synth score. Uh, those kind of choices, which I really like in anime, um, or, like, taking a single moment and then just stretching it out as people have a stare down. And there was... I did get a bit... um <laughs> In this one, there's one sequence where it's on the top of the rooftop with the the sort of Yakuza-type oh, oh guy. Oh, my God. I, yeah. That was, like, my favourite scene. I watched that scene twice. Like, after it was over, I called they, my same, partner Cordova and I was like, you have to watch they're, this scene. They're fighting the Blood Chinois, who are a <laughs> nebulous uh, Vietnamese... Uh, triad inspired sort of group and then there's that one shot right as they're setting up the 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 showdown where it tracks into her like her face and then her sunglasses become reflective and it goes into the sunglasses so you see the reflection of the guy she's facing and it becomes a shot of him and then it goes into his sunglasses to go back to the same shot of her and then tracks past her to a handgun which then gets fired and then goes back and then you see it's following the bullet and we see the reflection of the bullet is the guy and we <laughs> it goes into the bullet reflection to just be a shot of him as he gets shot sorry can you say that again i missed it <laughs> <laughs> the ending of that shot this is what we mean when we say there were cool moments because the ending of that shot the idea of like a point of view and then it springs up and you see the glasses broken in half that's cool that's super anime mm. it's just the lead up to it is absurd it's, it's so long it's like a full maybe a minute and a half of just these different shots tracking like at one point it goes into her ear and comes out of a gun barrel <laughs> yes like that was one of the transitions yes yes, yes. <laughs> That's also the scene where I wrote down, like, this is an act. I don't think. I don't think this is actually a movie. I think this is a completely different art form that we're just not prepared for and was just, like, shoved into the shape of a movie. I think uh, my take ahead of its time. In yeah. 50 years, we'll look back at Ultraviolet and be like, that was just yeah. live-action anime before we even knew it, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, like, a better version of that is... Have you seen Speed Racer, Abby? I haven't seen Speed Racer. I watched it years ago. And so, like, when, I, when I've when i seen the reappraisal of it and I understand it intellectually, but when I watched it... I just wasn't prepared for it. Right, yeah. N most people weren't, which is why it kind of tanked. Um, and it only came out about two years after Ultraviolet. <laughs> so, and they did a better version of, like, because they just go full tilt into it, whereas Ultraviolet still tries to ground itself at points, yeah. which is when it, like, it just feels really messy. And I also think the biggest crime of Ultraviolet is that there is a complete lack of levity. It really thinks that... It's very cool and very dramatic. And I think if it had just been a little bit more owning up to the silliness, it could almost be like a good film. Not not like a great film, not a fantastic masterpiece or anything, but it could be like a good, you know, dumb fun film, something like, you know, um, uh, The Mummy or something like that. Although I think oh. The Mummy is, you know, the Brendan Fraser one. I love The Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> the Mummy is immaculate. When I was... Here's something that you need to know about me, Mr. Shane Anderson. Okay. Okay, so when I was about, like eight years old i was so obsessed with the mummy that i made my own like sequel book called the mummy is back um and i hand drew it and hand wrote it and it was about rick and evie basically i just ripped off the plot of the mummy and retold it but at the end <laughs> when they can't escape the mummies rick throws evie at the mummies and they rip her <laughs> apart and at the end my my novel ended with 
and Rick never thought about her again because she was a nerdy bookworm and he hated her. <gasps> the end. You murdered what? Rachel Vice. I know. You murdered Rachel I Vice. I don't understand because when I look back at it now, I'm like, Evie was probably one of my first screen crushes because she was a librarian. <laughs> so what's wrong with me? I am a librarian. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as hot as Brendan Fraser is in that movie, Rachel Weisz is just... Perfection. She really is. I know what you're thinking. What's a place like this doing in a girl like... Fuck, I fucked it up. (laughs) No, no, you nailed it. You totally nailed it. (laughs) What's a place like me doing in a girl like this? Great film. The Mummy is... You can't fault it. But... Um, there's dumb, fun action movies, and then there's, like, bad action movies. And, like, I can't think of an example off the top of my head right now. Um, but I used to think Ultraviolet was a dumb, fun one, and it's a, a dumb, like, a bad, fun one, as opposed to a dumb, fun one. Yeah. Because there's still, like, enjoyable things in it, and occasional, you know, sparks of, oh, that's all right. It's lacking self-awareness, for sure, because, I mean, you guys are, I I think both of you are very knowledgeable on Ultraviolet, obviously, (laughs) and I feel like if you, Shane, were lurking in the IMDb sections of Ultraviolet in the forums and in the trivia, you probably know a lot about the production of this and what actually happened and why it is the movie that it is. Because I did some brief research today and found out quite not quickly. Not quite. Or if I did, I don't remember as much now. I was more enamoured with my own opinion. <laughs> your, 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 your own tale yeah, of Yeah, that's what right. You were 14. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Yes, that's that's correct. I, other people and information, no. My opinion, that's the only facts I need. My own dream world. That's a very teenage thing to do. No, when I was looking into it, I basically found that the film was meant to be two hours long and far more emotional and it was essentially a better cut it was like there was quite a decent cut of it but sony was keen for it to be a pg film and the cut that they made got an r rating so So sony locked the director out of the edit room and just recut it yeah to be more of an action blockbustery kind of film i've long been a proponent of release the vimmer cut you know like give me kurt's cut (laughs) yeah give me kurt's cut i mean apparently there was a cut that came out later but it only had six extra minutes so it wasn't even the original two-hour film it's a 94 minute long version and some people say even this extra six minutes made it better Mm. so apparently mila and kurt the director and the lead have both disowned the film because the cut is not what they envisioned for the film, not what they signed off on the film, and it completely altered the film entirely. Yeah, which, so. which desperately makes me want to know, like, is what's cut out things that are adding any sort of context or emotion to her character or letting us in for even just a second in what the fuck is going on? Or I have a theory. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Ooh. I was going to say, I, I, I suspect it's, you know, those where the movie will just stop for about 90 seconds to have a suddenly very emotional moment yeah. that just plays <laughs> wholly false because it's so sudden. Yeah. I reckon it's more fleshed out versions of that or in getting in and out of those sequences. I think they got to keep the action scenes because clearly that's where all the money went. I reckon um, William Fickner was, like, <laughs> was in the longer cut more because oh, he... Gosh. Yeah, he actually did yeah. a pretty decent job. I quite liked him and, and their scenes together. Yeah, and there's a kind of a lot going on there that I feel like we're not a part of. Well, the thing is, when you think about the film, it starts off with this incredible long action sequence of her going into 
to grab the like the weapon and yeah. finding it's a boy and that whole the, sequence the boogie of, board with a baby in it it almost it doesn't uncut <laughs> gems where you get and half it's a backpack an hour. don't forget yeah. that yeah. it's also a backpack you get it's like the uncut gems thing where you get half an hour in and you realize you haven't had a breather because yeah. nothing has paused she's gone through the effort of getting the weapon and escaping from them and as soon as she opens it and finds it's a boy we're like 25 30 minutes deep and you're like fuck now we're getting to like the actual meat of the story and what's happening but it takes a long time to get there so before that, I feel like I feel like maybe if there was a longer cut, we might have had some breathing room in that first act, or we had more in the later part of the film, so it didn't feel so bloated at the beginning. Mm. Like the structure of it just feels really mm. off because I think we're missing that, like the integral bits in later in the film. I do know that because um, in some of the behind the scenes, there was them shooting like a big lineup of people with like the hemophages with like the red armband on them like lining up to go in somewhere that wasn't in the film. So I feel like there was a lot more of the exposition dump at the opening that was oh, also really? cut out. Good. Perhaps Because that's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say though, is that like the way it's cut down means that there's this ongoing like genocide allegory for the hemophages, but I don't understand anywhere close to enough about the hemophages for it not to feel like a really weird and not, great choice to make it such a heavy-handed genocide allegory like right right well just they're as the hemophages i always miss that they die within 12 years but even with that in mind i don't fundamentally like i know it's a disease but it's a disease that (laughs) just why are they suddenly being um, hunted why are they now evil and hate humans why are they treated as a different species what the fuck is going on in the behind the scenes the costume designer who look this is very uh <laughs> jumping down on a cliche but i i got the very big impression that uh the costume costume designer was family um <laughs> he, he was a flaming homosexual and um he he said, oh, I really appreciated how he's, you know, he's made this movie about a disease of the blood that's passed through blood that, you know, people are being hunted down for. I was like, oh, I didn't think of it like an AIDS allegory, but it works. <laughs> yeah, but but that's also <laughs> oh, what I mean. Terribly like, inelegant. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, it works as an AIDS allegory in the sense that a blood plague where people were mistreated for having it scans. Does it make sense? any more than that in the context of what happens in the movie? No, not at all. (laughs) No. I think Ultraviolet is obviously so iconic for its fight scenes, right? Because when I first watched it a few years ago, I always remembered the quite infamous motorcycle chase scene, (laughs) which is, the I think, the best part of the entire film. They really peaked 30 minutes. With the boxy helicopters, you know, the Lara Croft Tomb Raider helicopters chasing after. And her, what do they call it, like gravity render or something? Gravity leveler. Gravity leveler so that she can ride sideways on the buildings. I actually really dig that. Yeah. (laughs) To the point where I am writing a sci-fi feature that's sort of a version of gravity technology that's being used but hopefully it's better than this because she uses it for that sequence never again at no point does she use the gravity level ever again twice but it's both at the start she yeah. uses it on the building both in the same fight yeah the yellow so and black she uses room it to get with, out with no edges it's just like a weird colored circular room yeah <laughs> Yeah, she uses it in the uh, in to get out of the building and then 
on the bike to get away from the helicopters to ride on the side of a building. We see her put it down so that the, I guess the European, the generic European vampire can just have it. The the hunky, right. long-haired one in the white clothes. The yeah. European, yeah, with like yeah. the the scraggly beard. Yeah, that guy. That looked I, a bit shit. <laughs> I really liked the gravity leveler belt because every time she'd use it, the actual like graphics that they'd use to to demonstrate that it was working <laughs> is like this little planet exploding, and I was like. I'm watching Cosmos at the moment. This is very reminiscent of but that's the thing. I Cosmos. feel like the movie was doing that as if to say, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> Gravity. No. <laughs> yeah. Just abstract images to demonstrate a very technical scientific change in the laws of gravity around yeah. her. I adore the gravity scenes, but that whole bike chase scene, the best bit is when she's just driving up the side of that building and it he really just takes a moment to like increase the suspension of it, I guess, or like the tension because she's going up the building and you can see she's really focused and the, the bike soars up and then just slams down on the top of the building in the most bizarre way. It's like this thonk and that's when she sees the helicopter and mm. the helicopter is basically just like floating between two buildings and they're like, shit, when they see her. <laughs> they start firing bullets. She starts revving her motorcycle up. She blasts through the helicopter and just guns them all down inside of the helicopter on yeah. her motorbike and then crashes into a building shattering through the windows. It's beyond anything I've ever seen. It's the best filmmaking I have simply ever seen. (laughs) And every every time a new piece of tech is brought out, there's always someone to just say out loud what it is to (laughs) another character in the room. It's always flat space technology, rare stuff. Yeah. You know, a gravity lever alert. What is it? You know, just every time a new piece of tech is brought out, someone is there to explain it out loud to the air. Which, if anything, I actually kind of appreciate. Give me something. (laughs) I love, because in that opening sequence, there's that team of five guys that storming a building and they get gunned down by basically some of the military yeah and a guy walks up and he's like my god it's a dimension so and so it's <laughs> yeah. just gibberish it's like a, it's a dimension flat space technology yeah that's right and i was like we're a minute and 30 seconds in and i've already got nonsense gibberish <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thrown at me i love this like, but wait what if they uh, uh, fake oscar isaacs was like but wait what if they were here to infect the blood and I'm like, what the fuck does this mean <laughs> i know what you mean about fake oscar isaacs but i thought he was more who's the lead in numbers that was also um uh, from the guy from, i've got a dick on my face from 10 things i hate about yes! you i was about to say from 10 things about, 10, 10, 10 things i hate about you that guy i yeah. thought he was a knockoff dick on my face guy sure <laughs> i never thought i'd say those words in in succession <laughs> for me the bit that actually because i felt myself in the beginning being like, oh man, I forgot how insane this movie was. And then the the rooftop scene, I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm actually kind of just underappreciating it. <laughs> yeah. And then I reached a point <laughs> where she's she's coming back to save Six, the little clone boy, from the other vampires. And they're in a room that has a well and a giant clock, which means I have no idea where it is. <laughs> I, I <don't, laughs> it's also completely black. There's no lights in it. <laughs> <laughs> but then- just a well and a clock what they, see i think they're inside of like a clock church clock thing yeah, but yeah. why is a well in there too? And, exactly and can i please point out when you're seeing the seconds tick on the big clock the the little second hand is going between the seconds so it's like there's a second there's like three seconds within each second on the clock yeah, it's not it's actually bizarre. in line it's not at all it's the way it's ticking is completely out of order but like the bit where it, 
he she's realizing that he's gonna that the boy's tied up uh and if the vampire lets go he'll fall down the well and like she's realizing oh he'll let go of him if i try and do anything and then the boy gives her a look and then intentionally flips off his shoe and then her eyes look at the clock hand moving and you the audience go oh the boy is saying time how long it takes for my shoe to hit the floor so you'll know how much time you is have that to save what it me was? yeah i and didn't do get that. it i loved that i actually really liked that i thought it, there's a better version of that you cuz like why would they know that like, why would they read um, non-verbal signals to each other that she's known him for three hours? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think in like a, if you put that in moment in like a buddy cop movie and had like a decent setup to it, that would be a really cool mo- moment. Mm. You yeah, know? exactly. Like it's a it's a really interesting idea because then she also pulls out her like really big flat sword and they I have this interesting love, fight scene. I loved the flat the sword. I love the sword. I, th- yeah. I think they're yes. really cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love how she's pulling them out of the bracelets yeah. too with the flat space technology. Yeah. So this is like all of these are cool ideas. It's just I need the listeners to understand that the actual scene that you then watch, complete nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Devoid of any meaning or, un- or comprehension. But that's the thing, like, this director has set up a really very distinct visual world because even though we watched this a couple years ago, Ultraviolet sticks with you because it's so aesthetically distinct. Like, you can really see mm, what yep. the film looks like and you, had, you don't forget it. So we set up a really Have good Have you guys seen um, Equilibrium? I no, haven't. I haven't. I no. know, I know of it because I know that Kurt Vimmer yeah, made it. Yeah, but. it's the same thing except he. In, in, another piece of ridiculousness. He invented gun kata, which is <laughs> yeah. like a gun martial art thing. So that's his shtick. Is to, which has always been a complaint because no, he didn't. He is not the first person to come up with martial arts and shooting no. things at the same time. <laughs> he put a name on it though. Correct. And correct. That's smart. I was going to say his shtick is like brutalist, like brutalist architecture in sci-fi, as opposed to like mm. shiny floaty ships and things like that mm. um it, 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 it the same martial art i believe is when she's got the guns with the blades coming yes. down the bottom of them <laughs> yep. which seem like wildly dangerous things to use for yourself because there's yeah. no way you don't cut yourself on those mm. well she's also frequently i guess as part of her martial artist expression pointing at and shooting nothing she's just often shooting in the nebulous forward and then yeah. Guys will but come out and floor. emerge into the line of fire <laughs> as she happens to point in those directions. I was going to say really quickly, yeah. he set up a really distinct visual world. But the problem is, as per every piece of feedback and criticism that review was left, the plot is un- we're unable to understand the plot fully and what's, what actually is happening between her and the government and the, like, the, the, the resistance members as well. And that's literally like the the crux of the problem with this film because even though you're enjoying these moments you're still like i actually don't know what the fuck's going on yeah. and like even if it could almost get away with its visual flaws because the cgi in this film is insane like it's so poorly rendered and there's a reason for that by the way yeah. there's a reason okay. that the cgi with one exception Tell when me. the guys are rolling in on the balls in the opening and then they transform from the ball to a human no idea why but i, <laughs> I looked at that and i was like oh i bought that like that looked pretty good and then everything else is from that point onwards is terrible but why are they balls because also the balls look like it's in a bowling rink you know when like the balls go through that machine in a bowling rink the bowling balls get fed back to you it looked like they were coming off of those so i was like oh i didn't know this started at a fucking kingpin like that's crazy (laughs) (laughs) it's an odd visual choice the 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 one last thing that i definitely want to bring up because it's it's (laughs) 
in this discussion about like how it's intentionally like being a heightened reality that doesn't need to make sense. There is the moment she wants to like abandon Six because Garth has said like, hey, you know, he's going to kill, he has the antigen that'll kill all humans and he's trackable. We got to ditch him. And she's like, I guess I'll do that. But it's not really explained. And she sort of leaves him and then she's walking away being all emotional. But every single other person in this shopping complex is heading the other direction and like rudely (laughs) bumping into her (laughs) so much (laughs) as she's getting more emotional and putting on her glasses and getting excited to cry. And then she gets knocked over and we hear a voiceover say, what am I doing? (laughs) And she comes to the realization, I got to save him. So she heads back and instantly everyone is heading the other direction equally as much. For people who haven't seen the film, it's like, you know, in Inception when they start to make the the, uh, projections aware and so everyone deliberately starts hitting, it's like 500 times worse than that. Yeah. That's a great reference for it. Like, and, and the voiceover too. The voiceover is like it's it's it, like present tense voiceover as opposed to the to the bookends of the film, which is yeah. past tense. Sort of, uh, she's narrating after the events of the movie, and then we just have this one instance <laughs> plopped in there of yeah. active present tense voiceover that never comes back again. Which I also like understood. That's what she was thinking. Like that's implicit in what I was seeing on screen. What it's, am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> something that I kept thinking about was the fact that the whole backstory is that she also had a terminated pregnancy that that was forced upon her because she became a hemophage and like they they basically like um forced her to miscarry Mm. and then i think they're making these vague allusions to how she protects six because she's lost a baby yeah that's meant to be a whole thing but like it's never carried through properly at all no like the vague allusion to the fact that she was meant to be a mum and now she has a child to take care of, I think is also the emotional thing that the director was trying to get at throughout the film, but mm. I'm pretty sure that's probably also what got cut, was, like, the whole backstory of, like, yeah. her being a pregnant mother and trying to take care of a child. But it doesn't work because you just don't care about their relationship with each other. It's just such a shallow relationship that they have and you don't almost don't yeah. understand why they care about each other. It's just wild. Well, like, her first move is to try and stick him with a needle and take his blood. So. Yeah. <laughs> One other think because you brought it up very briefly but i just want to emphasize the the turn to act three so from act the end of act two to end of act three which is just a hard cut to Miljovic and this boy on a merry-go-round <laughs> yeah crying. yes <laughs> that, that scene is incredible so yeah i didn't know that it happened i forgot that happened and i was just watching it I was like what the fuck yeah it's like weird pov shots of both of them of her looking at him and him looking at her and you're like is this a dream or is it actually happening <laughs> It's played like a flashback and then it's not. It's just then the people find her and they kidnap the boy. Sorry, the boy just drops dead. Yeah. And then they just shoot her. But first there's someone who is filming her crying over the body, which goes viral uh, so that it it changes the entire world's opinion on hemophages in one fell swoop. (laughs) And then then she, because she cried on him, that turned him into a vampire. Yeah. And it's just one drop that happened to slip right into his his uh, tear duct. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, in that scene, didn't need to see Mila Jovovich in her whole, like, anime leather superhero aesthetic, like, crouched on one of those spinny wheelie things at a playground going, ah! <laughs> 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 <Yep>. Absolute <Yep>. fever dream. <laughs> Absolute fever dream. Uh, there was... 
the, uh, as far as things that are good go, though, there was one line I really dug where she's the it's the face down with the final guy who with the the things up his nose. Yeah. And um, oh, they look like tea strainers, by the way. They look like two little tea strainers yes. jammed up his nostrils. Which it's nonsense. He opens um, his mouth all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but it's that line where she he's just like, "I'm going to take you down" or whatever, and he's like, "I'm unarmed." And she goes, "Not yet. You're not." Yeah, that's actually a pretty good one. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I actually, that's a good line. I like that one. I yeah. Like that. I think that some of the dialogue in this film was absolutely inspired. Like, also that bit, there's that tender moment, <laughs> and it's a bizarre scene where Garth has brought her back to life after she's shot in the strange fever dream playground. He brings her back to life, and she's like, why would you revitalize me? Like, why would you bring me back? And he's like you know why. And then it cuts to a scene of them in a different location later at night. And then they speak two lines to each other where he's like, why won't you let me in? And she's like, because all of the good moments, as beautiful as they are, become evil when they pass. And I was like, what the fuck? And that's it. That's the end of the scene. She just leaves. We're meant to believe in like one line that they're in, that he's in love with her or something yeah. like that. It's so you, We ridiculous. never got that. I never got that from him, to be honest. He just seemed really friendly and professional with yeah. her. Yeah. The entire of Act 3 was so nonsensical. Like, I could make sense of Act 1 and 2 in terms of, like, an anime-style thing where there's some ridiculous plots, but Act 3 just goes off the rails, starting with the hard cut to America around a playground yeah. tying thing. And you, you totally said at the beginning, you were like, I realised that the fight scenes didn't really, like, escalate. They were kind of, like, the same thing again and again. And it's true in that yeah. there's that bit where she gets to the hallway after she's killed dozens of men just by randomly shooting all wearing they're all wearing like glass costumes (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like she gets to this hallway and they all like line up for her and she's just like you're all gonna die and then you see daxis (laughs) with the boy six in a different room and you just hear the gunshot so you you know she's so skilled you don't even have to watch her fight through people anymore (laughs) you just hear it in the distance and i was like what a cop out. Like, it's just getting easier and easier. Or the shootout in the dark when Daxus <laughs> is, like, facing down the other vampires and they just do a whole shootout in the dark. Yeah, 100%. I was oh. like, did you just run out of budget that day? Were you just like, fuck it? Like, I can't actually be bothered to get the actual... You mean then when we see the bad vampires lined up like the Backstreet Boys and then Daxus <laughs> drinks the most full <laughs> cup of coffee I've ever seen in my life? It's, it's yes. brimming. It's absolutely brimming. <laughs> Do you guys want to hear a bit of trivia? Yes, please. Hell yeah. Trivia. Here's a couple of interesting things I found in the IMDb trivia section, uh, which I feel like you're both potentially also still familiar with. While on the set, Kurt Wimmer asked Mila to punch him in order to get a feel for the intensity she was putting into her action sequences. For the next several days, he directed the film with a black eye. (laughs) And I love that because what a fucking (laughs) wallop he must have gotten. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that about Mila Jovovich, someone who... I'm really shocked has not made an appearance on this list yet. I also read, like, this is another piece of trivia, but he, like, Kurt Vimmer wrote the script with Mila in mind as the lead character. She's Mm. such, like, a sci-fi lead actress. Like, Mm. I mean, The Fifth Element really solidified that, obviously. Um... And also, she was in Resident Evil, wasn't she? She yeah. played Alice. She's she's yep. She, yep. she's the Resident Evil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> play, she plays Alice Evil, right? She's such a like a well respected sci fi lead, but yeah. I feel like I also think that she's quite well well respected though, and I actually feel like we may never encounter her again in this list. I don't think she's a bad actress. I just I'm not 
I'm never quite sure of why she makes certain career choices. I just don't know why you're anti-Miller. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I felt this brewing this whole episode. Did you feel that, Shane? Like, why do you hate her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's you me. You just hate women being successful. Yeah, clearly. famously. Fam- <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I touched on earlier, by the way. So, the in terms of the visual effects, the film's extensive visual effects are visibly unfinished in the final cut of the film. They were never completed as intended due to executive meddling. Huh? Sony had locked the director and Mila out of the editing room um. and hastily cobbled together an 88-minute film out of his R-rated work print, which I mentioned earlier. Several scenes, including the infamous motorcycle chase scene, use incomplete temp renders that were never meant to be seen outside of the editing room. Oh. The unfinished effects were a result of Sony trying to rush the film to release it on time. I, I holy just, shit, man! I'll get back to it in my review, but I'm I'm turning more and more pro this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it got a bad rap because of Sony trying to push it out. Yeah, as quickly as that. Fuck I, it screen gems. Literally just subpar or decent film, not mm. an absolute visual atrocity. Right, right. Well, the, now that they're temp, and so that makes a whole lot of sense. Actually, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. really does. Like temp is not even temp is not even like half done visual effects that's like the let's put in some box models to sit, so you get an idea and we'll do them from scratch later i on the latest feature i've been uh editing on have been doing a lot of temp effects and like i'm not a vfx artist if those stayed in the final movie yeah. everyone would go this movie's really bad yeah <laughs> for temp renders they were potentially <laughs> quite good like yeah, yeah. So the courier in the film, Elizabeth P. Watkins. So you know at the beginning when she breaks into the oh, yeah. the military base to get the weapon and the real courier turns up? So that woman was actually the stunt double for Mila, which oh. makes sense because when she says her line, I thought it was the worst delivered line in the entire film where she's like, it couldn't have been me, you son of a bitch. And they've like got her arms behind her back. And I was like, wow. And it's so ADR. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aggressively. I also found this fascinating. So Kurt Vimmer, a comic book fan, decided to do the opening credits as a montage of ultraviolet comic books since he had always wanted to make a comic book movie. Ultraviolet itself is not a comic book property. (laughs) And I think that's absolutely bizarre it at one point in that opening i wrote it down you see the text on one of these fake comics says catch the amazing japanim action (laughs) (laughs) whoops this film was so badly received and such a disaster um because by the way i think the budget was 30 million and it made 31 million so yeah i think it was higher than that oh was it i feel like i remember reading that it was somewhere in 60 million but uh keep going and i'll I'll oh yeah double check that for me fact check this but because it was such a disaster this was kurt vimmer didn't make another movie for years Mm. until 2020 when he came out with children of the corn which Seems to be a prequel to the 1984 movie, but they still called it Children of the Corn. I hate when they do that. Me too. They do it with horror franchises more than anything, where they're like, this is part of the same continuous universe, but it's also just the exact same name of the first movie. Predator is one of the worst. It's this Predator, Predator 2, Predators, The Predator, and now it's The Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad. (laughs) Um, It was $30 million. There you go. But also... Like, he didn't direct for 16 years. No, 14 years because mm. of how, what a disaster this film was. But he was on track to be quite a well-known director at the time. And that's the thing. Like, if we're reappraising this movie as, uh, like, what it sounds like his original vision was pre-Screen Gems' meddling, 
I would also, like, need a long time to emotionally recover. Like, this is a very comprehensive world. If I, like, put my heart and soul into something like this and then the studio recut it by a full 30 minutes and then everyone said this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, I I would never work again. I'm always a bit disappointed when I find out that it's usually a bad film because of the producers meddling with it or executives meddling with it later because I'm like I just want it to be a bad film because of incompetent (laughs) filmmakers but now I feel sad for them yeah and that's no fun yeah do you guys want some reviews I would love some reviews yes so (laughs) I haven't burped I haven't burped at all yet. No, but you've slurped. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm merging from burping to slurping. Oh, That's my new phase in life. It's just so much harder to Burping, the slurping, and then there's the merping, which will happen later. Yeah, that'll be the next. <laughs> so this 50 will be slurping. Then the yeah. next 50 will be merping, which we have yet to decide on what that will be physically be in 2022 there'll be a news report that'll be like it's called merping and the kids will love it (laughs) 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 it's like black and white footage of why kids in there fuck it i don't know (laughs) leave me alone on rotten tomatoes the film has an eight percent approval rating (laughs) the site's critical consensus reads an incomprehensible and forgettable sci-fi thriller, Ultraviolet, is inept in every regard. This is a review left by Rob Nelson of Village Voice. The most receptive audience will mainly be enlightened to know that you can make a movie as thoroughly unprofessional as this one and still get it released in 3,000 theatres. Solid burn. I love it when critics are just really spiteful. Yeah. <laughs> I really like a little bit of twang in my, in my reviews. This is a review left by J.R. Jones for the Chicago Reader, saying, Despite the expository speeches draped over this like birthday bunting, the story remains largely incomprehensible. Again, incomprehensible is definitely a (laughs) reoccurring word here. This is an IMDb review left by MindSci, and the subject of it is beautiful, ultra-sexy Violet. (laughs) This was left in 2010 (laughs) and is a 10 out of 10 review. Where do I get my full-size ultraviolet doll? Oh, oh, no. (laughs) Seriously, Mila in multiple color skin-tight leather vinyl? Wow, I'm glowing ultraviolet myself. The sexiest superheroine movie ever. And sci-fi action to boot. If you didn't like it, you're probably not a guy. (laughs) Or not a guy with testosterone. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. This story is no no cheesier than Elektra. That's a callback to our eighth film on this list. (laughs) Frankly, it's super sexy to see super sexy Mila massacre so many grunts. Vimma scores big, as he does again with law-abiding citizen. And yes, the special effects were pretty good for 2006. Watch it on Blu-ray. Where's my ultraviolet doll? Uh. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Mindsai, you're an absolute creep, but I'm glad you <laughs> enjoyed it so thoroughly. Yeah. Um, I ha- The reason I chose these reviews is that this is what most reviews were like. And I don't know what your review was like, Shane. I'm dying to know. It probably wasn't (laughs) along the lines of Mila was really hot and I wanted to fuck her. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) probably definitely not. Probably not. (laughs) You were like, but Daxus, the tea strain is in his nose. He can fuck me up any day. This is a review left by Alec Baldwin 666. What? <laughs> in 2006. <laughs> 
The subject of it is a hot babe in tight clothing in an explosive special effects film. Oh, what could God. be better? God. This is what most of them are like. Oh. Everyone loves Mila. Oh. The presentation was visually a 10. The sci-fi concepts, very good. This was meant to be a comic book type of film. This was never made to be Gone with the Wind. This was over the top, but in a fun way. This feels like a slam poem or like just some kind of... (laughs) (laughs) It kept me watching with great use of colour. Lots of twists and turns throughout. Some great chase scenes in the movie. Enough bullets to please the NRA. No animals were killed, which should please Peter. 10 out of 10. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) A bit of both sides. (laughs) This guy covered all bases. (laughs) He really thought about the ins and outs, the intricacies. (laughs) I love these reviews. Every episode, just pure gold. Pure gold. I love people in IMDb. As you mentioned earlier, you were an IMDb obsessive, and it... I think I was as well. I think I spent 80% of my time online on IMDb looking up films, looking up trivia, looking up reviews. So I love that you were active. I want to know what your review of this film is, Shane. Uh, look. And what you would it, rate it. I own it on on DVD. I, I have owned it since uh, I bought it when I worked at the video store. It was, I considered this one of my, it was on heavy rotation. Like, I, I saw this multiple times in a year. Like, n- now I'm going to bring it up. Uh, probably never. <laughs> look, I might, I might revisit it. Who knows if I want to do like a, I find bad movies teach you a little bit. Like, there's nothing to be learned from the room. Yeah. But a movie like this, which is cool ideas strung together with a bunch of missed opportunities, I think there's a whole lot more you can take from those things because every man and his dog is referencing Scorsese and Tarantino Mm. and Spielberg. But not a lot of people are looking at some of these things and putting them together. And that's what, you know... Tarantino and Scorsese and Spielberg did. They looked at the lesser loved films of that of that they grew up on, and they reconstituted them into their art. Like that's Tarantino's entire aesthetic. Is that it's super true, by the way. Like if you want to be a good filmmaker, you have to watch bad films and figure out what went wrong and also how they could be improved. Yeah, yeah. It's usually the the better inspiration is oh, I like this thing, yeah. but I don't like this version of this thing. So yeah. how about I do my version of the thing? Because my version of this thing will have a unique aspect to sure. it. And that's what, that's art is synthesis of the things you grew up on and who you are as a person. That's mm. what art is. Um, now, what would I give it? I'd give it, <laughs> yeah, that's what art is. What's your review? <laughs> If I was giving it a numerical value, I don't tend to do numerical values anymore. My letterbox, I stopped giving star ratings and I just say whether I liked it or didn't. Um, but I, it, the film on its own, probably a four out of ten. However, with the fact that the studio meddled as heavily as it did and deliberately put out boxy, unfinished visual effects, I'm bumping up to like a five and a half. Yeah. Because mm. I reckon... Because I think what we're getting is the intent and the execution is where it fails miserably. And mm. there are a couple of, you know, performances are a little bit dodgy, but there are great films with dodgy performances and there are great films with some crappy lines of dialogue. I think the intent of it is better than the execution and knowing that that execution is heavily dependent on the studio meddling, 
maybe it's a little better than what it is. Not it's not a it's not a seven or a ten out of ten as I I I thought it was. A, I think I rated it ten out of ten on my IMDb rating. <laughs> I think yeah. I was a ten out of ten guy. <laughs> William Fickner is hard as hell in this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it sits at like a five to a five and a half, somewhere between there. What about you, Michelle? If a five is a good year, <laughs> yes. which I do not like that movie It's at awful. All. It's, so, it's so average in every respect. If five is a good year, I would never watch a good year again in my life. I would probably watch this at some point again in my life. So this is a 5.5. I was literally thinking the same thing. When I was thinking about my review, I was thinking the same thing. I'm glad you agree with our rating system, <laughs> like our neutrality scale. <laughs> I, I also, by the way, don't particularly like like rankings and number reviews. I feel like we do them because they do them on IMDb. Mm. In a lot of ways, like this is the movie that kind of got me into bad movies. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like over the last like 10 years, as I realized my taste as a teenager was shitty and just kind of got interested in like why (laughs) these movies were bad. And then that morphed into my main vehicle of events for friends was look at this thing that's really bad that I've seen and look at this thing that's really bad that I've seen. And that turned into a, a, a regular event called Let's Watch Bad Movies. And then now the podcast. Ultraviolet was always on the list mm. because it's just so distinct. And like, <laughs> that means it's art that left an impression on me. <laughs> and like, how can I be that critical of it then? Yes. <laughs> so like, This movie itself is like a one, right? Like it's incomprehensible. But if you peer through the void, there is a dimension, like an alternate dimension where filmmaking is a completely different art form with different principles where this is a 10. And there's also like an alternate reality where Screen Gems didn't (laughs) fuck up Kurt Vimmer's vision where it's Mm. maybe a six. Like how could you possibly rate this movie? It's Mm. not a movie. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say we gave Ra One like a seven for being fun gibberish. Yeah. I think this is a probably worse made, but more fun gibberish than <laughs> Ra One was. So I I wanna be consistent, so I'm gonna give it a seven. Nice. <laughs> Even though I think it's both a one and a ten That's at the same huge. time. <laughs> I'm coming back on this movie. This movie has so many things that I'm like, I've never seen another movie like this. It's so true. I mean, in terms of my rating, like I've expressed this a lot of times. For me, my rating isn't even about quality of film anymore. It's about watchability and like how easily I was able to get through the entire viewing of it. But this film was so watchable. Mm. I enjoyed the entire thing. It didn't feel like I was physically pained. Mm. If anything, I would watch it again and invite friends to watch it. It's a great bad movie to watch. This is the kind of movie we started this podcast for. Yeah. I also think that it's so visually striking and there's a lot of things that I like about the film. And yeah, it, it's it's very much in that raw one realm of like it's over the top and extravagant and fun and you can watch it with friends. So for that, I'm going to give it Look, Rawan was special. To I know. Me. I don't think I can give it the same rating <laughs> and, as And Rawan. if we're really honest, we rated it too high. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to give Ultraviolet, honestly, like probably like a 6.2 out of 10. Mm, That's oh where I'm goodness. at. Is yeah, it's hu- high, she's high. This is your highest rated one after Rawan. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, I think it is. It's so much fun. It's not about quality anymore. It's about how much i was able to tolerate the film <laughs> if anything it makes me wish that i rated striptease higher which i thought oh. was similarly a lot of really cool ideas wrapped in a not great movie yeah well that was 
Ultraviolet with Shane Anderson. Thank you for joining us today, Shane. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm such a huge fan of the podcast. Are you, you, like, you guys I listen to every week. Oh. It's my commute. It's my work podcast. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you've, you. Yeah, you've been like such a wonderful fan. I've always seen your name popping in and around everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, there was a point where I was like, I would like live message Michelle as I listened to the episode when I was at my really shitty job oh. at Coles. And so I'd listen to it in the morning and I'd just live message Michelle on Instagram being like, oh, by the way, this, and by the way, this, and by the way, this, and by the way, this. <laughs> I did want to scream out that it is actually Vincent D'Onofrio instead of Donofrio. <laughs> Damn it! Because it's an Italian. That, the, that uh, apostrophe after the D is an Italian thing. Yeah, but so Italian like... Americans always get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just, I love this podcast so much. So thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. And thank you for being a guest here. It's been really, really great to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Was there anything that you wanted to plug? Oh, uh, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, my old podcast, The Mighty Motion Picture Rangers, is available on wherever you get it. It's it's finished and wrapped up. It's just basically like a movie discussion one, although we occasionally had some... We have a really good episode where we got um, a woman who's studying like film festivals as part of her doctorate, and it's literally like one of the coolest things. I learned so much about oh, film wow. festivals just from doing that episode. Uh, so I highly recommend if you can find that one. I think it's just called Film Festivals with doctor something or other uh she was awesome uh but so that's wherever you find it and the logo looks like the power rangers logo um and then my feature film red curtain hell it's available on vimeo.com slash on demand slash red curtain hell and feel free i think we still i think it'll still work there's a, a code picture rangers just one word that'll get you 20 percent off Oh, nice. I'm going to buy it. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> you. Feel free to share uh, Michelle's copy of it if you want. Yeah, you can find Don't worry, just download it from me. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> is that like a torrent anywhere? Is it on like Pirate Bay? Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all my plugs. So that was Ultraviolet. You can follow us on Twitter under Rate Descend Pod or on TikTok under Rating Descending or you can send us an email at ratingdescending at gmail.com. Or you can find us on our personal social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram under at michelle.stclair. And Shane? You can find me at, at Shane M underscore Anderson. I'm very active on Twitter. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I'm on Insta under <laughs> Abigail J. Ward. And also, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It always helps and it also helps my serotonin levels. <laughs> so that was ultraviolet what shall we be watching next week michelle next week we are watching triple x state of the union all right this is more dumb action <laughs> sounds about right <laughs> big ice cubes in it oh fuck yeah <laughs> is he uh, have you seen that Shane, okay, no. <laughs> why didn't you do the research <laughs> How do I you haven't not seen know? any of the triple X. They're on my list. They're on my list, but I haven't seen you, them. Yet. I haven't either. Well, I know there's at least. I assume this is the third one, right? I have no idea. You're gonna have to do. Your I research? think it's the it's the one where they ditched um, whoever was the original triple X guy, oh. and then he came in for one movie, and then they did a fourth triple X movie where they brought. Is it who is the? It's not Vin Diesel. No, no, that I, one I would be quadruple X. That's what I'm saying. This is the third one. I <laughs> thought it was Vin Diesel. <laughs> I don't know. I oh, yeah. Well, then he did like one and two, and then I think three they replaced him with someone, and then four they brought back Vin Diesel. We're gonna have to use like ten percent of this. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, see, bye. See, see fuck off. Bye. Forever. <laughs> fuck off.
hate ending the episode. <laughs>